Hey everyone, I'm Karen Walby Solomon, and welcome to What's IGN Crushing On, IGN Africa's official entertainment podcast. I'm your host, and I'm joined as always by my producer and editor Rebecca Barchers. So, this is a show where we discuss all things entertainment and pop culture with a new guest every week. We bring recommendations, news, and fun facts sometimes touching on the more serious issues surrounding these topics. She's an incredible student and dedicated stylist. Yes, well, it's just something about her I don't like. So it's actually the best to add advice skills, you know, the way I are. Say nervous? Nervous for what? If you fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And you are prepared, yes? Yes, mommy. In the case of nervous, it is not a formality. Theory, then practice, then the rest of my career. But you were not going to get your own salon for a long time. I messaged the estate agent on the website. I'm putting in an offer. I'm not going to get an offer now because I want it. Now the bank says denied. My baby is not a minor setback. Of course, ma. Well, I heard about your little home setup. So I thought I'd come and see for myself. I'm being sued, Pfizer. I tried to tell you. I'm trying, mommy. I'm mean, just leave it. Leave it to do what? To grow, mommy. Like, no more chemicals, no more straightening. You are bigger than Raven. Say that with the ER can do like I said. Obviously, with my ER at Ogden. Surprise. That was the trailer of Swirl, a love story to hear on the Cape Flats, written and directed by Quinita Adams. It stars Chanel Davids, Vinette Ibrahim, Charlene City Richards, Ilse Klink, Bianca Flanders, and so many more talented South African actors. It's now available on Showmax, so please have a watch. It's a beautiful film. Later in the episode, we will have an interview with Juanita Adams about the film and about hair and about so much more of what makes us South African and she's such an interesting person. But before that, we chatted to Helen Wallace. Helen is a lifestyle, sex, beauty, entertainment writer who's written for Cosmopolitan, Marie Claire and so much more. She's an hilarious person who is very involved in pop culture. And we spoke about some of the wilder articles and experiments she had to try and and also her views on various issues. She's an avid watcher of reality shows and she talks a bit about that too. So, so yeah, here's our interview with Helen. Hi Helen, welcome to the show. Hi Karen, I'm so excited to be here. This is a lovely. How have you been? It's been a minute since I've seen you. It has been a minute. Um, I've been okay. I've been working a lot and yeah, doing my thing. So, so we used to work together at Cosmo, and you were our resident beauty and lifestyle writer. I was. <laughs> so so why did you like how did you decide you wanted to go into writing like how did that spark joy in your life I won't even lie Karen it wasn't 
about sparking joy at the time as much as it was about finding a career path because I had attempted studying a couple of times and nothing was resonating, um, but I'd always enjoyed writing. And so I did a couple of short courses, an internship, and then I just kind of worked my way up from there. And, and like, you've done a lot of, like, exp- I'm like experimental, like, You've like, you know, there's those articles in magazines. I'm like saying to the listeners, no, you know, because obviously, you know, where people are like, I tried this and this and this is what happened. What is the wildest thing that you've ever tried? Um, was maybe the yoni eggs. I, I tried putting the jade eggs that are meant to improve pelvic floor function. I would put them into my vagina religiously for a month. I won't lie. I think I caused pelvic floor problems because I was exercising muscle, <laughs> muscles that have never been exercised to that extent. I was having stomach cramps, but um, it's it's a weird experience. Um, I also did one on period panties that had me on the edge the entire week because you just don't trust a panty to be that reliable. They are, P.S. Oh, I was going to ask yeah. how did they work? They did, but it was it was incredibly stressful. I'd rather just not have that stress, personally. Just plug it up. <laughs> it's like a dash in roulette. It's like that week before your period when you like you don't know if it's if it's coming or not. Yeah. Okay. Then you sneeze. <laughs> so, um, have you seen the South African what you call it um, housewives? I tried watching the one that is not the Durban one, the one before well, that. The Durban, the Durban, yeah, yeah I, I did watch, I think, one season of that. But it felt a bit contrived. Mm. Well, I mean, they're, they're all contrived. But it was definitely, as a South African, I could tell that these women are not friends with each other. <laughs> I've, I've been hearing good things about the Durban one. I haven't watched it. Although I haven't watched. I started the, the, the Beverly Hills one and... It just was too many episodes, and I, I will catch up eventually. So tell me which ones are the good ones. Which one should I watch? So look, Atlanta's great, and I've never watched it, but I believe it's great. And I just think it's also it's overwhelming to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorites um, have always been New York um, and Orange County. They're a bit boring now, admittedly, but I still watch them because I'm loyal. But... There was now recently a Salt Lake City one. It was the first season, and it was unbelievably wild. I wasn't expecting it. There's one woman who is married to her grandfather, her step-grandfather. Um, oh, my God. But, yeah, it's wild. Um, and I also really – which other one do I watch? Potomac. Potomac is a really good one as well. But it's like, how do they find all these women? I suppose America's big, like – there's a lot of these people. So, yeah, there's chances for. But so what other, like, reality are you into right now? At the moment, I've been doing a lot of binging of old episodes of Come Dine With Me on YouTube. Um, I love the kind of cozy British things. Mm-hmm. Um, I also watched some, some Bake Off, a bit of old Bake Off the other day. But reality TV, I love, yeah, the trashier, the better, really. Um, and look, RuPaul's Drag Race is, 
I think I've watched every season apart from the newest one four times now. Yeah, sure. I think it's been four times. So what do you, what do you okay, I, I haven't seen it, but like what are your thoughts on the new season? So the new season, it's okay. It's been interesting because obviously a lot of it's been filmed around the pandemic. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's good, you know, but I think it's in its 13th season now. So things start to get a little bit like, mm, is that the best drag queens you could find? But um, But the UK one is like in its infancy, and like insane, maybe there's something about the British eccentric that lends itself really well to that. Mm. And they also they they also have a very like good reality culture. Like they like I feel like people can like really foster like reality. Like you know that people will be like a reality star on one show, then they will be on like I'm a celebrity, get me out of yeah. here. Then they will go on another reality show, and they just like make their their money off being reality stars forever, and they love their reality stars. Yeah, they really do. Especially like I know um one of the guys who was in Bake Off then became a judge or present not a judge. That's a bit of a stretch, but a presenter for one of the other offshoots of Bake Off maybe the mm. professionals like people become obsessed with the character and it can like catapult their career forever which I suppose is a good thing so okay let's talk about Tali's baby diary oh my god <laughs> another person whose life was catapulted because of a, re- a reality show but I was actually so so in preparation for this chat. I've been watching it. Um, I'm not done yet, but like I, I actually think it's like a really good sitcom. Like, it's, like it could exist as a as a 22 episode sitcom. It definitely could. I guess sometimes I wonder how well it would translate. But I think it's just so it's just so obs- ridiculous that it could actually like we all know people like that, right? We all know Joe Burgers. Even if we're from Australia, we know Joe Burgers. <laughs> Love you, Joe Burgers. But it's like, oh, no, but like, like I get the Joe Burg thing, but she's also like a very C-pointy person as well. Yeah, no, definitely. She assimilates so well to Cape Town life. And the kind of like influencer, um, the mom, oh my gosh, it was just, it's like a stroke of brilliance that the mom influencer. Um, storyline and I yeah, took, definitely. I took very long to watch The Wedding Daddy I only watched it this year because I was like oh I don't think this is for me just like I see enough people like that in my daily life I don't I don't feel like I want to watch a show about it too but then like the way that she um satirizes it is, is done so brilliantly and not like it doesn't feel nasty but it's still like poking fun at the more ridiculous sides of it um, yeah. So, what do you like? What did you enjoy about the baby diary? You know, I think my favorite type of comedy has always been stuff that makes me cringe. Like, I want to die inside. It is so uncomfortable. And I think I get that in the best possible way because these these people are so are so familiar to us. We've seen them. We know them. They make us cringe in real life. And mm-hmm. um, there's always something about being a South African and seeing South Africans on a screen that makes you feel a bit weird inside. 
Um, and I think that the show has that international appeal while still kind of making South Africans a little feel weird, feel weird, but find it funny at the same time because it's weird. And like, I, I was just thinking, I was like, all the different like little plot points too, like the the two the property, the two property. Oh, I love them. <laughs> oh my gosh! And then like the the thing with with um with the with the vegan leather thing, like I was like, that is a storyline on its own, and with cocktails, right. and it's just like everything exists in these pockets that 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 can do. Oh my gosh! You know how much I love the receptionist at the property place. Um, oh my Daddy. gosh! She yeah. is like my favorite character. I can't deal with how much I love this girl. She's so funny. Yeah, I also enjoyed her. That kind of, that kind of like disconnectedness. It's very Capetonian. <laughs> so Capetonian. <laughs> she paints herself gold. Yeah. <laughs> <She> just, <laughs> all the time, gold. Oh my gosh, I died. You know, I know it was. I, I like actually like these all with some with okay not. With a lot of shows that I watched, there'd be I'd enjoy it, but there'll always be something that makes me feel like, uh, I enjoy it for what it is, but is it really good? But this is a show that I think is I enjoy it, and it's also really good. Also, freaking Danny Kay. Oh my god! Firstly, I didn't realize how big his ears were. Also, like, what what's he doing? Like, like what's what's Danny doing? Like, I didn't know. He was about, you know, I don't know where I thought he went, but like, I didn't even know he was Capetonian. Does he live here? I think he's Jim Joburg. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, mean him singing, him. like, at her stomach. I mean, Danny Kay. I'm like, but it's just like, it's, it's like the craziest cameo that you could think of. Okay, I, mean, I suppose not the craziest, but it's pretty crazy, like, one out there, like, who is the biggest singer in South Africa? <laughs> <laughs> and if you think about it, like Tali is probably around, but maybe a little bit older than us, probably around our age. And like we know when we were in like Danny Kay was like the biggest singer at one point. Yeah. Like we we all knew that hurt so bad. So I used to come and see yes. every night. I'm That's his song. I actually was thinking what it was while I was watching, and now I know. I was just, yeah, I, I, he's lost weight, I feel. Because mm. I was in the class, I was like, is that Danny Kay? And then when they said, yes, Danny, and then they called him. <laughs> yeah. There were quite a few cameos. Quite a few cameos. I enjoyed it. And I like that the cameos also weren't, weren't just like people they run into. They became almost like proper characters. Like, Danny Kay had his own storyline. Coconut Cull's had her own storyline in the show. Exactly. But I, I feel like Coconut Cull's and, you know, Tali were match made in heaven anyway. Mm. As individuals, they are. Perfect. They are. Oh, Coconut Cull's. You remember when she was at the office that day? I was almost a construction worker on the scene, in the background. A misogynist construction worker. I, um... I remember one of the, because she was, we had the Cosmo men, whatever. I can't remember what it was. Sexy men stand up. Or something like that. And it was against like casual misogyny or something like that. And then she was like the, like the, like the star of all the videos. And then the one guy 
was um, I can't remember what's his name, but anyway, he was sitting at like the desk, and she was like, like asked him to help, like pick up a gift for a baby shower, something like that. And then they asked him to, like the director asked him to read you a scene, and he's like, and what about Carl's? And Carl's is like, um, like, excuse me, I'm Meryl Streep. I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to read you anything. I was like so on point. Like, uh, like Lucia is such a great way of like staying in character. Like, it's like she also thinks how the character would think. But I suppose if you like, if you're constantly being interviewed by news places, and you know, you can't. You have to be improvising and constantly thinking on your feet. It's amazing how she also stays in character. I haven't yeah. seen her out of character. Okay, I haven't. She's like a busy on TV now. Is she? Yeah. <laughs> Girl, it's been a long time since I watched SABC, yeah, etc. Or DSTV. Um, so wait, okay, tell me about these 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 true crime YouTube YouTube channels that you watch. Um Yeah, so I I'm a long time true crime fan. My mom fostered that by making me watch um, Murder, She Wrote as a child. Um, but, yeah, so I've been into true crime YouTubers for probably the last the last year, and I didn't even know we had ones in South Africa. I was low-key thinking maybe I need to get on this. But then I found two ladies, and, um, yeah, they cover actually local crimes, mm. Um which I mean is morbid. Let will be. Let's be honest. Um, but I find that they're super well researched, and um, yeah, I really enjoy their content. And it's nice. It's also um, it's diverse content. You know, um, I think it's important. And they're also a lot of old cases. You know, really bringing some new light to things, which is really cool. Ooh, I love cold cases. Like I used to love cold, but I don't like things that are unsolved. Right, it just had to take a long time to get there. Yeah. So I feel like, you. like all things that they use new evidence, like new ways of 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 discovering, like cold, like cold case TV show that used to come on SBC too. That I remember was- they had like a kind of diorama where it was like they'd show the people back in the day. Yeah. And yeah. then infused with now. And yeah, I remember that. Music. Oh, I love that show. If I ever. If I have time again, I want to rewatch it. So what would you say is like your favorite movie ever? Wow, that is hard. I can tell you that I was a huge Tim Burton fan and I definitely have a few of those um, that I actually purchased the DVDs because um, so that I could keep them forever. Um other favorite movies? Um, I really like Seven. Is that weird Mm-mm. to like such a gory movie? But it's a good movie. Yeah, I really like the first Saw movie as well. It's genius. Do you like horror? Is that like a. So I like horror in that I sit with my hand in front of my face and ask whoever I'm watching with, because I can't watch it alone, what's happening on the screen. Um, but. Yeah, I do enjoy horror. Um, yeah, I guess I like things that sort of lean towards the dark side just a little bit. 
And then what would you say is like your favorite series? That's so hard. Look, I so I'm not sure if you have watched any. I'm not even sure if it's still on show, Netflix, but it was um, Kath and Kim, which is an Australian um, comedy TV show, which I've been watching since I lived overseas. So for quite a long time, and it recently came to Netflix, um, which I love, which is just a, a, a ridiculous comedy, um, like a comedy trio, but they really like... Um, I'm not quite sure how to explain it actually, but it's a situational comedy about a mother and daughter in Australia and it is gold. Um, the US tried to do a remake of and had them living in a trailer trash and it was not gold. Um, then other TV shows, I'm trying to think what I keep coming back to. I'm really excited about the Frasier reboot because is that is a fave. I'm scared for it, but I'm also excited for it. Um, yeah, so you know, there's just um, they have to I, don't know, I, haven't, I haven't met a reboot I've liked so far, let's put it that way. Yeah, I, I they haven't announced if Niles was gonna be in it, and I love Niles. Like, I could watch a show with just Niles, like, if there's no Frasier and just Niles, I'm okay with it. Like, I would just watch Niles. I think I just I love how like ridiculously pretentious they are. Um, I also look another show that's a fave, which is pretty controversial, is Sex and the City. I'm, I'm aware that it has not aged well, um, but it's just such a guilty pleasure. Like I just, to, I probably know the words to every episode. It's quite scary, actually. But I think that that, that Sex and the City is well, um, it's well sculpted as a show. Like maybe the content might have not aged. But the way that the episodes are put together and the writing is really good. So it can it's still enjoyable, even though you might be like, oh, that joke might not land now. Or I think it know. was like just so refreshing to have a show where women were like allowed to be miserable and bitch about men and to, you know, like not aspire to these like Stepford wife ideals, you know. They were they were people and they were struggling in love or they were or they weren't struggling but it was it was very the most authentic thing that you had on tv i think in the late 90s mm. no, yes. jerry springer obviously <laughs> and ricky lake yeah oh my god i love that show when you're home from school and then like when like, <laughs> you sick but yeah, then they always like, like these old episodes i never really watched jerry springer because i never emanated when I was younger so I Ricky Lake was like it for me like that's all I knew when it came to reality shows Ricky Lake was great and then she was succeeded by Rachel Ray I think mm. yeah but that was more like of a like a cooking. yeah cooking it was more like sanitized and nice right was Ricky Lake quite quite scandalous yeah she was yeah. too it wasn't. I don't think it ever got as bad as like Maury or like Ricky, um, like Jerry Springer. But it was still like, like he dated my boyfriend's father's wife's okay. sister, something like that type situations going on. I think I used to love. I don't know why sending like memes to people that were like screenshots of Maury episodes, and like one of them was like, I. I know my boyfriend cheated on me because I found a tooth in his apartment. 
<laughs> I used to love like the the taglines that they put at the bottom, like how they yeah. describe someone. Like M- Maria was the <laughs> was the person who stole Jane's dog and ate it, and something like that. Like weird. Like imagine being that person typing. That's actually the dream job, being able to to type those. Um, it's like it has to say everything that needs to be said in a punchy and and just condensing it makes it seem so much more shocking. Mm. It's like it's like the ultimate copywriting um, <laughs> skill. Mm. I it admire was, it. You know, in The Bachelor and stuff, they always have like those like their names and their jobs. And there was this, this, there was this one guy on the Bachelorette this year. He's and the, he, they had his name, his age, and by the job section, they just wrote "man of mystery." I've seen that on the Bachelor before. I think there was a woman once who was called like a dog lover, and there was someone that was like former child or something like that. What? Amazing. <laughs> or like, yeah, I've seen something like hockey fan or whatever. <laughs> that's the most exciting thing about them well so um so who would you who was your first celebrity crash this is really embarrassing actually i really liked elton john for a while um i don't know why but i used to collect pictures of him like a scrapbook type vibe yeah that vibe um then uh, fortunately, I came to my senses, and then it moved on to Bon Jovi. Mm. It was, a, you know, those posters in the U magazine. I had one of him on my wall. I I went to watch him when he was here. Do you do you go to that concert? I didn't. I never go to those cool ones like Roxette and all those bands I used to like. I really should. They'll be back. Oh yeah, Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah, John Bon Jovi was so hot. Like I'm like this man is like fifty, and he still looks so good. He hasn't aged a day. That was our chat with Helen. You can find her at HeyHalizi on Instagram. And now here's our chat with Cornita about swirl, hair, and much more. Hi, Cornita. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Karen. How are you? I'm great. So how has this year been with lockdown and everything? I mean, it's been crazy. I, you know, I said I had two babies in lockdown. I had a human baby um, who doesn't let me sleep. And then I also made a, a cinematic baby, which also gave me sleepless nights. Um, but it's been intense, you know. I I think as humans, we're such social animals, Um and closeness and intimacy and just like even if you're kind of antisocial and you're an introvert I think we're not meant to be apart from each other for so long you know um so it's been tough but at the same time it's also been quite incredible in many ways I have a baby I made a movie so it's it's been both an isolating and lonely year, but it's also mm. been a very um, fertile year, you know, yeah. literally, but then also <laughs> creatively. So, so how did like filming and stuff work? Do you guys film under lockdown or did you do it before? Yeah, no. So we did, we did. We were shooting in 
in lockdown, not in a hard lockdown. I think it should have been like level three or, or whatever. Uh, and we had a protocol, uh, COVID protocol officer. Okay. Uh, and then also an inspector who would do random checks. So the inspector would come by and we wouldn't know when to make mm. sure that we were observing all the COVID protocols. And in fact, we lost one day of shooting because someone on set um, received one of those phone messages to say that yeah. they had been, which was like quite a few degrees of separation, but we had to declare that and the COVID officer um, shut us down. So we had to do a, a stand down. Um, and then the the person went for a series of tests and mm. only after the last test came back negative again could we um, resume shooting. Um, you know, obviously everyone had to wear masks and sanitizing and we had a medic mm. on set who would walk around every couple of minutes sanitizing everyone. Um, and then also just in terms of a writing kind of perspective and a directing perspective, you know, you have to kind of have that be the focus way in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Elaine, the lead uh, character, doesn't have a romantic love interest mm -hmm. because it would be irresponsible to have actors kind of do those intimate scenes. Um, questions like, well, how do I protect my crew? How do mm. I make sure that the technicians, the crew who are there first and they leave last, they're there the longest, so they have the highest rate of exposure potentially. Yeah. How do I protect them? The way I do that is make sure that there are as few people in the scene as possible. Mm. And it's technical and it's boring and, and people don't think about it. But even at the writing stage, I was, COVID was the boss. COVID was making the rules. So even if I wanted to have a scene of, like, everybody at the same time, we couldn't do that. I had to make mm. choices. I had to write the scene so that they're, like, maximum four people. And then if there are four people in the scene, we've got to put them quite far apart. Now, you watch the movie, and it, you won't even think about it. Like yeah. You won't even realize it. But the fact is, when the mother's at the kitchen table, the father's at the counter, Elaine's yes. on the other side, the grandmother comes in, someone's leaving. You know, you, you don't think about that when you're an audience, but a lot of that kind of kind of technical, boring mm. choreography had to go in and had to look quite natural. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a big challenge. Um, but watching it, you forget about it. Watching it, you know, the actors are so incredible. And the crew was so amazing that you would never say that we were shooting, like trying to m miss each other, you know? Yeah. I'm thinking now about like the exam room part. And I'm like, I would, that looks, I mean, obviously in exam room, you sit apart from each yeah. other. Yeah. But obviously there was people there and they were sitting at separate desks. And yes. They yes. were But also things like if we shot at a certain angle, we would release the actors that weren't the the kind of background talent. Oh, okay. Um, if so, we had to be very good about that. If the talent, if the background actors weren't actually on camera, they had to leave because mm. you know we were so anxious. We didn't want to get shut down, so we were like extra good. 
we were like extra vigilant, making sure that they were never going to have a reason to shut us down, you know. And then, of course, as it happens, somebody got a message to say that, hang on, you know. But then again, everybody just focused. The person got tested. When the tests came back negative, right, we could pick up um, and carry on. Um, but it's uh, it's a challenge, you know. Mm. So Okay, so maybe explain to the listeners what SWIRL is about. Okay, so SWIRL is about um, a young woman called Elaine Williams, who is the star pupil at a hair college. Um, and her big dream is to start a hairdresser of her own and build like a hair empire. And she's obsessed with straight hair and straightening hair. And she's built a reputation for herself and her ability to straighten even like the biggest afro. Like there's mm-hmm. nobody's hair in the world that Elaine can't just get to hang like curtains. You know what I mean? Like she's known for the skill. Um, and she's on a path, she's about to put a down payment, she's about to, you know, um, try to buy a property to start her own hairdresser, she's on her way to winning the graduation hair competition, and life is going according to plan, and then slowly things start falling apart, um, and then when her her world pretty much collapses and, and kind of topples in on itself and she loses everything. She hits rock bottom. She's faced with a choice. Does she go back and do things the way she's always done, you know, on the straight and narrow? (laughs) Or does she embrace a slightly kind of wilder, rockier road? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, And take a chance on something different. So without giving too much away, that's kind of what the story is. We follow Elaine. It's also the story of of hair. Mm. Um, it's the story of salons and what they mean in our community. It's the story of women and men who open hairdressers and salons in their bedrooms or the lounge or mm. the kitchen or the bathroom or the garage or the Wendy house, you know, it's the story of the auntie with a towel around her shoulder and a wet hair running into these homes to quickly get these kind of magicians to sit and style there before the confirmation or the whatever, you know. <laughs> so it's the story of how important hair is um, to us and how mm-hmm. sometimes you can take it for granted um yeah it's a it's a letter to him so what inspired you to write it um i think that you know the fact that it's 2021 and we're still talking about here Mm. In the same way, the conversation hasn't necessarily changed. There's still videos going around of young kids being humiliated in school environments because of what their hair looks like. There's still young girls who are being absolutely vilified and victimized because mm-hmm. they have they wear their hair naturally. And so we're still de- living in a world where stores and, you know, product companies 
are irresponsible in the way mm. they choose to label their products and kind of paint people with the same brush. And so I, on the one hand, it felt like there was never a better time to have mm. a movie that talked about this. And in South Africa, I didn't ever see a movie that dealt specifically with hair that was based in the community that I came from. Not to say that there aren't movies and TV shows and whatever out there that deal with hair, but I certainly hadn't seen one like this. So mm. it felt like it was an, a great time to be able to tell the story. And then, I mean, I've lived with this hair for, for 43 years. Um, and like the lead character, I have alopecia. Um, and mm. so at various points in my life, when I was under a lot of stress, um, my hair falls out, like in those round patches. Um, and then I had a baby and my hair fell out again. And I just thought, oh, yes, let's let's tell the story of, of mm-hmm. hair. Um, but it's also the story of relationships between mothers and daughters. And we see that play out over three generations. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of how we represent ourselves and how we are represented, how people see us, how we want people to see us um and so i thought if i'm gonna do make a film for the first time write a film and direct a film mm-hmm. for the first time what i wanted was for the work to deal with something that i felt quite comfortable in being able to tell so the content i needed to be intimately familiar with because the process was going to be so strange yeah. and new and foreign to me. And so technically I was uncertain and insecure, but in terms of the story that I was telling, I was confident in that because I was just like, listen, I'm going to need help how I tell the story, but Mm -hmm. the actual content of the story, mm -mm, this one I know this, yeah, I got this, I got this. So that's kind of um, what inspired me to tell the story. It just felt like the timing was right. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, so like each of the women in the story have, are sort of on their own ear journeys. Yeah. Were they like inspired by specific people, or was it just like concepts that you thought of? No, of course. I mean, mm. f- firstly, there's a little bit of me in every single character, including the two male characters. They're little bits of mm. me um, that I've kind of placed in each of these characters. Um. And just, I think, the way I write, I often write with people kind of in my head. Mm-hmm. And in this instance, the um, often the actors. So while I was busy writing, I would hear, I had I wrote for certain actors and I wrote to the actors in mind. So thank goodness they were all available. <laughs> and I got the cast that I had dreamed and had been living in my head. Um, but of course, you know, I, I based, a lot of the characters, some of the scenes, a lot of the conversations were conversations I'd had with friends or family, loved ones, the good conversations and the bad conversations, the tricky conversations. Um, so there are lots of little elements of my own life and other people's lives. I mean, my family is large. And as we all know, with large families comes a lot of like craziness. 
Mm. <laughs> and so a lot of the dynamics um, I've kind of taken from, you know, people in my family, my extended family. Um, I mean, a lot of my family are literally physically in the movie um, as extras, which is also quite <laughs> lovely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's inspired by some parts of my mm. life, but then also just my experience and having spoken to people. Um, so, um, like, do you think the move towards like naturally is like a generational thing? Because I think that scene with the young girl where she comes in and she talks about wanting to transition, yes. <laughs> and I thought it was such a powerful scene. Like when she's like, "My hair looks, my hair doesn't affect my schoolwork, yeah. so it doesn't matter what my hair looks like." Yeah. Um, and obviously, we've seen like the uprisings at the different schools here. So, do you think? What do you think? Um, do you think it's a, it's a? I think it is a generational thing. I think that as we become more comfortable in being able to articulate what it is that we want and kind of even this idea of speaking truth to power, mm. you know, that language wasn't around when I was young. Um, I mean, I credit my parents for raising me to be like cheeky as the old people said, and to speak my mind. Um, but for example, uh, in the early to mid 90s, when I was leaving high school and at university, there was nobody at the UCT campus that is walking around with the Afro like me. There was mm -hmm. one guy, his name was Darwin Franks. I found him on, on Facebook now the other day. He was maybe like two years older than me. And I've been joking about this as I've been doing a lot of um, press for the movie. Is that it was literally the two of us walking around at UCT looking like karaoke mics. <laughs> Just like big Afro hair. And it drew a lot of attention. Mm. Um, and it's incredible for me to see more and more and more women and younger and younger women just rocking their natural hair and that's not to say that women who don't rock their natural hair aren't kind of fully in themselves mm. um i also think that we should be mindful not to get into this position where as women who wear their hair naturally are then jajarach mm. and kind of you know treat women who don't wear their hair naturally some kind of way because ultimately it's just like you need to do with yourself and your hair what it yeah. is that you feel you need to do to be beautiful like I'm not here to pass judgment but even that to kind of take a more sympathetic approach to that older generation like you understand where that comes from because historically if you had big wild unruly hair number one you were a target mm. And that put you out there in, in a particular way. So this idea of like keeping your hair, and they always use the same word. It's like you've got to look decent because mm -hmm. that's what I heard. No, you can't leave the house. You don't look decent. You don't look neat. You don't look tidy. Your hair must at least be manageable. Mm -hmm. you, to, this idea of like management. And so to be critical about that is to say, well, you know, it's it's kind of oppressive, it's it's restrictive, it's prescriptive, it's all that. But to take a slightly different look, a more generous look, it's also about protecting these young women. Mm. Because if you went out there as like a wild woman, you were safe, you were the target, you could be kept, you could be managed. And there's something about managing young women 
that even our grandmothers and our aunts have internalized as being positive. Because a wild woman is exactly that wild. And if you is wild, no, you can't you, you look wild. Mm. What does that mean? And that came with fear. So I think even this attempt to kind of restrain the hair comes perhaps from an impulse to want to protect our yeah. own, our children, our, you know, our offspring. But less and less and less we see that. More and more we see women kind of embracing and celebrating this wildness. And let me mm-hmm. tell you, Corona has done more for the natural hair movement <laughs> than me being out there in the world ever did. Because for a long time, salons were allegedly closed, even mm. though we all know. It was like people were running to back doors to buy cigarettes and people were running to side doors to get into a hair salon. <laughs> we all know those people, right? Who were like breaking curfew just to go get the hair straightened. But I think eventually people were just like, you know what, it's fine, man. this is my hair. I'm going to stop dyeing my hair. Then the next thing, mm. I'm going to stop putting chemicals in my hair. Then the next thing, I'm still going to stop blow drying my hair. And so I think, like in a weird way, this pandemic and this lockdown has really given the natural hair with the boost because not everybody was able to go to a salon. So women were forced mm. To come to terms with the fact that, well, this is what my hair looks like as it grows out of my head. Plus, it's yeah. cheaper, it's convenient. And um, more and more and more, I'm looking around and I'm like, not the only karaoke mic <laughs> in the road anymore. And that's very really <laughs> encouraging. Yeah, I um, the first time I went to like one of those. Um, demonstrations like with all the different stalls Hmm. and I was just so amazed by how many different products are out there now so like like you know before like if you if you if you had curly you just put in the same like pantene leaving conditioner that everybody else perfect girls (laughs) what is what is that but you're talking about pantene friend it was colgate Remember, it was the apple one, and then there was the egg one. Body on tap. Yeah, in your Body on tap, I'm yes. like, because growing up, we didn't have Pantene Perfect Curls. It was your Colgate shampoo, and it was your body on tap, and it was whatever you brought home from the corner auntie who does your hair. And it, that was it, you know, and it was amla oil, and it was coconut oil. I mm. mean, I also spent many years of my childhood when my hair started changing all I wanted was for my hair to go back to the way it used to be which was like really straight good hair like any Muslim little girl should have Mm. and so when my hair started changing and as my mother said the sun started rising on my forehead (laughs) I panicked and it felt like a betrayal already I was getting almost firstly I had glasses then there was hormones. Now I must wear a bra. And now my hair. Oh, man. Come on, guys. Like, <laughs> you know. And if I tell you there was so much coconut oil on my hair and olive oil, I was basically a Thai green curry walking around. 
with all of that crap on me and put egg in your hair and then they put mayo in your hair and you put all the stuff in your hair because you just want to have this hair that looked and felt and moved a certain way, you know? Mm-hmm. And my mother, who is a trained hairdresser actually, was the one who was, because I begged her, like I cried, I begged her, I was like, please, can we just straighten my, can we relax my hair? Can't mm-hmm. I just go? And she's like, no, we're not going to do it. Yet. I was like, but I want my hair to go back to the way it was. Like, this is not how mm-hmm. it's supposed to be. And she's like, don't worry about supposed to be. It's, this is what it is. And even though at the time it was it was a source of tension between us, like I couldn't understand why she wouldn't just let me do it, mm-hmm. you know. And every Sunday we had to roll my hair, blow dry my hair, swirl my hair, because it needed to look a certain way for school. Now, looking back, I'm like, thank goodness. Thank mm. goodness that she didn't kind of buckle and cave and, and let me get away with it, you know. And, you know, since the movie, but even before people have seen me on TV or on stage, often people would reach out and say, listen, this is what my daughter's hair is doing. And she loves seeing you on TV because she says, ah, mm. that auntie's got hair like mine. What can I do? Like, what do I put on her hair? What do you put on your hair? And I'm like, I mean, there's so many options these days. You mm. know? In my day, it was just like, amla oil, coconut oil, and a break. <laughs> I, I was, um, with the scenes with, with Ilse Klink and, um, and Charlene mm. <laughs> was so good. But also the whole intergenerational and how genetics work. Because I, I have very curly hair, but my mom has bone straight hair. And she did not understand how to work with, with... She does... For her, she couldn't fathom understanding curly hair. Like, I remember when my... I'm the youngest, but when my sister was 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 younger, my dad had to blow dry hair because my mom just couldn't handle it. Yeah. With me, she just used to send me, like, every week to the hairdresser. But it is, like, sort of, like... Because, like, genetics is so weird. Like, you know, a mother could have perfectly straight hair and her daughter would struggle. I mean, my daughter has dead straight hair. Like, every morning, I open my eyes and I say to my husband, today we're going to find a girl. Today. (laughs) And now, like, I'm out here phoning my white friends, like, must I put something on this child hair? They're like, what are you using? I'm like, I don't know, some top-to-toe, the body wash. And they're like, does it say you can put it on a hair? I'm like, yeah. They're like, no, just leave it. I'm like, what do you mean leave it? I must put the thing in it. Must I not put the cream or a serum? Or a... They're like, no, just leave it out here. I'm like, no. So it's weird that now I have this kid with like dead straight hair. And I'm like, I, I guess I'm just going to brush it. I don't know. And it's thin and it's fine and it's it's so different to mine. Mm. And it's it's really put so much of the stuff in perspective for me. You you know what I mean? Mm. It's like hair takes up so much of our, our conversation and like how much we base ourselves on, but it's it's such a it can be such a random thing as well. Completely like, random. I was saying what's interesting for me is that the when I blow dry my hair. And half the time I blow dry it because it's for a role on TV mm. or it's a movie, it's a character, whatever. People treat me differently. Mm. I have been on the wrong side of someone's like aggression. 
no, because this isn't you. I'm like, really? Because I had to pay for this. <laughs> I don't know who just bankrupted herself now, going to the waterfront to do it. But people feel that they can, you know, police you by mm. your hair. Don't tell me it's not me. Firstly, it's just a blow dry. Relax. Yeah. I'm going to drink coffee and then the steam from the coffee is going to make my hair crease. <laughs> Don't relax. I'm going to wet my hair tomorrow. Am I suddenly going to change my personality? But people have such strong associations with who you are because of your hair. Mm. You know, and even in the natural hair community, like a lot of women feel some kind of way if you just look even that's changing because I see on Instagram now like a lot of women are doing these like care styles where they'll like blow dry their hair just for a change and I think that's healthy I think that's important because ultimately mm-hmm. we need to celebrate the woman yeah. beneath the hair <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean I feel like um, of course your hair can can be a stand-in for your politics for your feminism for your defiance for your humor for your sorrow it's you know the cultures where when people grieve or mourn they they cut all their hair off um Mm. in the muslim community when a child is born part of the baptism ritual is to cut a lock of hair and then weigh the hair Mm. and then the weight of the hair in gold you give as a chair as an act of charity Mm. so hair is also something that is so completely spiritual but at the same time it also needs to just be your hair Mm. and we need to be able to celebrate each other no matter what the hair is doing you know I can't stop someone from putting chemicals in their hair Mm. that's that's for you all I'm going to do is this you know and what's what's heartwarming to me is that young young girls in particular or young boys Mm say, ah, but she looks quiet. And if she can do it, then I think I'm going to do it. And that's all you can hope for, that you create possibility just by Mm. being out there, you know. So um, you mentioned earlier, but I just want to go back. Um, So why was it important for you to set Swirl on the Cape Flats? Well, because I'm from the Cape Flats. Um, And so, you know, in, in, in the way that you write what you know, Mm-hmm. Um also I wanted to be a part of this movement um creatively at the moment, kind of a zeitgeist of trying to portray a different kind of Cape Flats. Mm-hmm. Um and that was important to me. Um so aside from the kind of Cape Flats that is often portrayed, which is one where the community is facing the the very real challenges that they face yeah. on a day-to-day basis. I also know that my experience, even though we grew up alongside gangsters, w- was very different. Um, and so I wanted to show a different side of the Cape Flats. Mm. Um, I wanted the home to look different. I wanted the kind of language to sit differently, but also no two characters speak the same kind of Afrikaans or the same yeah. kind of English, because that's how we grew up, right? It's not this homogenized, like, sausage factory mm-hmm. where everybody speaks Afrikaans in the same way. 
everybody speaks English in the same way. Um, so I, I wanted to do that. And then another thing that I really wanted to focus on was like what the inside of these people's homes look like. I literally, yeah. I had a meeting with the art director and I took photos of my aunt's house. And I was like, do you see this house? Do you see how everything is in this beautiful, muted, cool palette? There's no mm. bisach, over-the-top, loud, noisy decor. Mm. That's it. You see how there are no paintings on the walls? That's what I want. Because there is a tendency... <laughs> to try and brighten up Cape Flat's world. It's almost like directors or, or people are like, oh, shame, you know, their lives are so terrible. We're going to create some brightness for them by sticking paintings just on the wall. And everything must be bright and over the top and everything must be a floral and a... No, my dear. I didn't want that. Even the clothes. Now, listen... I'm a chunky, big booty sister. And in my career, there has been a tendency to, they say flatter. Really, they just want to disguise your body. They want to hide you behind mm. bright colors and floral prints and busy prints and beads and scarves and fl a flower in the hair and a brooch and a bangle and an earring and a belt and a tutu skirt and a wedge. And you're just like... Okay, why don't you just add more shit onto my whole body? You know, there's a hubcap lying there. Maybe you must just put that on my back and I can look like a ninja turtle, then we're done. And I was like, I want none of that. And I want a floral anywhere. We are putting Charlene Suti Richards in skinny jeans. Mm. Thank you. And we're giving her a T-shirt and a little cardigan. And Vanette Ibrahim who for years played Charmaine on Sea of mm -hmm. the Land. This one, we're giving her a shock of blonde hair like no one's ever seen. Then we are going to put her in clothes that make her look like a samurai ninja. We are going to make choices. We're not just going to vomit clothes mm. onto these actors and see what happens. You know, I worked with the art department. I worked with the wardrobe department. We worked meticulously. There's a movie about hair. Nobody's got junk hair. There's no accident about hair in, in this movie. We made choices. And what we wanted to do was show us differently. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm the only one. It's happening more and more frequently where people have a kind of fatigue of mm -hmm. looking at the same kind of Cape Flats. Mm. And I just wanted to be a part of that and say, well, this is my contribution to create, to filling in the picture and, and, and just diversifying this world, mm. which is not one thing. So everybody's outfits looks amazing. And, you know, there's a color palette that works through the movie. The movie starts very neutral. Lots of grays, lots of whites, lots of black, lots of dark colors. You see even Elaine only wears black in the beginning. But in that last celebratory scene where she opens her own salon and it's just this like beautiful pink. But mm. the pink has been throughout the movie. 
because it's those pink rollers that we all know so well. It's the discussion with her mother about the rose water and what the pink does, and even the husband who remembers the smell of roses on his wife. So even that, it's not just, I didn't decide, oh, I'm going to go with pink. I'm like, no, pink means something. Mm. Pink roller is doing a different thing to a yellow roller, is doing a different thing to a green roller. Green one. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that pink one is most for the taikanachis. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, at the, the bottom. The small, it's for those old aunties who only got three years on the head. But they <laughs> what? You must roll it. And so even in terms of how the, the look and feel of this movie, the sound of the movie, um, mm. you know, we also, I wanted to show a dad who wasn't going to get drunk, who mm. is clearly... You know, this one man in this house of like three strong women, mm -hmm. and he's okay with that. He doesn't hack it. He doesn't hack up. He's just the dad, and he loves and supports his daughter. I mean, my father's not alive anymore, but that's a dad. That that was my dad. Mm -hmm. I was just like, Dad, I'm gonna be a painter, and my father was like, Cool, I'm gonna buy you <laughs> some paints, and then I was like, Dad actually, I want to be a singer. And my father's like, okay, uh, I will get you a good set of earphones. I'm like, no, no, dad, sorry, sorry. For real now, I'm going to be an actor. My father's like, okay, cool. I will come watch everything you've ever done. Mm. And it was just about this kind of no questions asked support. And again, I think that, of course, all over the Cape Flats, there are so many families where absentee fathers are a thing, mm -hmm. but not this family. Yeah. This family, the father's present. You, you, you know what I mean? Even though the three women kind of <laughs> sit on top of him, he's a different kind of dad that, mm -hmm. that we see. And I think that's a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to just acknowledge that there are fathers of color out there who are doing the most. Yeah. Um, and he also has his moment towards the end, like he. I mean, I, we'd listen spoil, but I mean, like you know, he also has like you know he's so muted throughout, but he also has his moment of like showing who he is, and I thought that was so beautiful. Thank you, absolutely. <laughs> and also, you know, he he makes the observation that he's never put his hands through his wife's hair, mm. and that's so true so many homes the fact that women are out there kind of shielding the people in their lives from this like regimen of mm. getting their hair to look a certain way you know somebody was like yeah but how can you not know if you know your mother or your sister or your granny's got crusade I'm like very easily they pay a lot of money so that you never have to find mm -hmm. out you know these are women who sleep with rollers in their stiff necks because they're sleeping with rollers. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's exactly. a real thing. It's still happening. <laughs> Can we talk about the casting for a bit? Because you said you everybody that you thought of was available. And yeah. like, I just think like having Vinette be a villain after she played like everyone's auntie for years was so brilliant. Listen, Vinette had come to me and she said, she's going to play this character 
as like Cruella de Vil and Meryl Streep's character in Devil Wears Prada. Mm. And I was just like, show me that. <laughs> I was just like, okay, let's see. And she did it. And I was like, that's amazing. Also, Vinette, for the longest time, as everybody's favorite auntie, didn't get to play comedy. Yeah. You know, not a lot of people associate Vinette with like comedy. And so this was an opportunity for her to flex mm. a different kind of performance muscle. And it it could have gone over the top. I think in the hands of a kind of a, a, a different actor, it could have been like a little bit over the top, like uh, not believable. But I think it was so beautifully handled. And that relationship between her and Philippe, you know, mm. played beautifully played by Basil Apollos, is so incredible. And when Vinette also, we, we spoke about it, she says, I want to look different. I'm going to wear these glasses. And then we did this thing to her hair. And literally, when I saw her hair after it had been dyed and styled, her whole body language changed. <laughs> she just stood in a different way and with the nails. And you, you know what I mean? Like it just, it was transformative. And she brought that energy to Seth every day. And it was incredible just watching her kind of step into this role in a new way. And um, on the other cast, how did you come about? I mean, it's, I mean, the fact is, you know, Basil is a le- they're all legends. Mm-hmm. Basil had even directed me on the, in, on stage for a theater production. So it was strange that now I was having to. <laughs> But the thing is that these actors were also exceptional that they kind of, you didn't even really need to direct them. A lot of times you just say action and then cut when mm-hmm. they're done, you know. Um, so an incredible cast. Like I love the dynamic between um, Elaine, played by Chanel Davids, and then Pfizer, played by Bianca Flanders. Veronique Jeffers, who um, plays uh, Taylor, you know, the one with the mm-hmm. big curly hair. Just incredible. And also because everybody was so invested. Everybody has their own hair story. Everybody mm. has their own hair journey. So the fact that they could bring that into their characters, you know, these were the discussions we were having on set every day. Every day somebody would come forward with another story, their own personal anecdote um, of something that had happened because of hair or something that they were considering. It, it, it really... It, it was incredible, even just being on set. So how did you, like, enjoy being behind the scenes this time? Because, I mean, most people know you for acting. Yes. It was amazing. <laughs> I mean, it really was amazing. Like, I, again, I have to say that the crew were incredible and I felt really supported and I had crazy ideas. Um, there were days when I was unsure of what to do. Um, and the crew who really, they were like the A-team. They were like in basketball, you know, the NBA All-Stars. I had the All-Stars of crew. Um, and so on days when I was uncertain or I didn't know how to get my idea across, they really helped me and they held me. Um, and and so did the actors. And so I think, look, for the last like six, seven years, I've been writing. I write on a lot of TV shows. So I've already slowly started kind of stepping back from being on camera. And I love that. 
you know, it's one thing to kind of get given a part to play, but when you are able to create a part for other mm. people and be part of this movement that we're in at the moment where we like, we are writing our stories ourselves. Mm. You know, I, I can't talk about this enough in that there are still today shows that are set in our community that are essentially being written by white men. And then they mm. get us to flip and translate into the language, you know what I mean? Or even vernacular languages. There are, there are TV series like well-known, well-loved soapies mm. on the, you know, our national broadcaster that are in indigenous languages. But at the top of that chain is sitting a white man. Mm. And so to be a part of the movement, particularly with Arden's Flame, I wrote on season one and season two, and I was there at the beginning and um, with the head writer, Feltham. So the fact that now we are sitting at the top of our own food chain and we are writing stories the way we speak, the way we live, that's exciting for me. Mm. You know what I mean? So for the last kind of, as I said, six, seven years to be a part of that movement where we are writing our own stories on our own terms and casting ourselves in roles. You know, it's, it's the first time that Muslim people are playing Muslim roles. Mm. That's incredible. And it's only it's happening more and more now, you know. So, of course, when the opportunity to direct that came, it was something that terrified me at first. But then the more and more I thought about it, the more attractive it became to me because then you're creating these opportunities for a larger network mm. of people it's not just me anymore now I get to create these parts for other people and that's incredible and 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 so the kind of the footprint of the work is larger than just as an actor you know because yeah. But actors are powerful in that they're what the audience sees. But this other thing, which is kind of a slightly more invisible hand, is one that really excites me. So it was, I mean, it was scary when I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But then it was also exciting. And I love playing in groups. You know what I mean? And as a director, you have a big, big group to play with. Um, so that was that was really exciting, that collaboration of it. So what's next for you? Um, more writing, um, continuing to kind of contribute to this body of work, um, writing TV. Oh, can you hear the baby? Um, <laughs> hopefully, more opportunities to direct. You know, um, mm. to just keep telling stories in whatever way I can, if that's as an actor, if that's as a writer, if that's as a director, um, that's kind of what's next. I mean, immediately what's next, it's probably feeding the baby <laughs> or changing a diaper. Um, that's in my Im very immediate future. But for the rest of the year, just kind of more more writing. Okay, so the final question yes. uh, that, we all, <laughs> that we ask everybody. So who was your first celebrity crush? Like locally or internationally? Any, any, any. Yeah, I've got to say Eric Estrada on <laughs> Chips. So Chips was stood for California Highway Patrol. 
and there was like a white guy, and then there was Eric Estrada, who is the like Latino cop. And he was dark and he was beautiful. <laughs> so I would have to say, yes, that character. Asmak the Drawad. And that answer was really quick though. So you you had that. I like... still love him. I I still love him. He he just had this incredible head of hair and he's just so smooth. He's damn sexy. And you know they wore their pants tight in those days. I don't know what I was thinking. I would have been about five. But even before Michael Knight. I think his name was like Punchinello or something like that. Like I don't even remember, but I just know it's Eric Estrada. And he rocked my six-year-old world. Well, thank you so much, Kunita. Thank you, Karen. Um, you let me know. And thanks. And um, thank you for your support. And I'm glad that you enjoyed the movie and that it resonated with you. That was our interview with Kunita Adams. You can find her at Kunita Adams on Facebook and at Kunita Adams on Instagram. You can watch Swirl now on Showmax. But before we head off, once again, Rebecca, my dear. Hi. <laughs> so what have you been crashing on since we last chatted? Um, since the last time we spoke, it was, I've been watching Breaking Bad. Oh, wow. Burn, classic. Burn. Have you enjoyed yeah, it? Yeah, just because I... Um, I just needed to see what the hype was about. <laughs> I, I used, to, I, I think, I watched the first few seasons when it first came out, and then it got it got quite hectic, and people were having sex in there, and I was too young to watch it with my mom and my dad, <laughs> so I stopped watching it. Um, but now that I'm old enough to watch those things, um, I am I'm enjoying it. Actually, it's it's well written, and um, I'm not at the end yet, um, but it's definitely kept me on the edge of my bed. Okay, that's great. I mean, I always love a good Brian Cranston. I haven't seen Breaking Bad myself, but yeah, he's a, he's a classic from Malcolm in the Middle. Of course, Malcolm in the Middle. I really feel like rewatching Malcolm in the Middle. There was an episode of the TV show One Division where they sort of like parodied Malcolm in the Middle, and oh, I just like brought back that you know that like utter joy that you felt at Hopper Six on, yes. on a Wednesday during open time on Mnet. Like, oh man, Malcolm, miss y'all. Yeah. Yeah, what is the brother's family? What is the well, brother's name? Reese, um, Reese. The younger one. No, the younger one was oh. du- something with the D. Ducky or that. Du- yeah, yeah, Ducky. Um, D- yeah, Donald. I don't know something like <laughs> Ducky. I don't know something like that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I know yeah. I get what you mean. So what I've been watching this week. Um, so I I watched the docu series. Um. Alan V. Farrow, which is about the Woody Allen accusations by his um, daughter, Dylan, yeah. the sexual assault allegations. And yeah. and the, the series is told mostly from Dylan's point of view. So I, I, it wasn't like Alan V. It was more like Alan is the... <laughs> Is, yeah. the, is the is the villain and you know it's it's more from her point of view but it was just extremely interesting because as somebody who was like a really big Woody Allen fan as I was yeah. um, I mean I think most writers are but um but like it's just like I have heard his story so many times I've heard mm. his, his version of events so many times and and for the first time, it was like I did an open net in twenty fourteen. I did the, like the news stories and stuff. But just hearing her talk, hearing about how this affected affected her life, and also yeah. like 
seeing what her life is like now with her husband and her child, a baby and stuff like that. And just, you know, seeing how it has changed her life. It was very interesting. And yeah, yeah I would, I would recommend that if you are interested in docuseries and especially that case, like I would suggest you watch that. But yeah, yeah. that's sort of what, <laughs> it's kind of bleak, but that's what I've been spending my time on lately. Yeah. Is Dylan is Dylan the adopted yeah the adopted daughter okay so so okay, Woody yeah. Allen and Mia Farrow had three kids together two adopted yeah. and one biological which is Ronan Farrow yeah um and then he yeah okay and I he think married her other daughter Suni and then he had kids with her also but yeah it's crazy it's a very messy story and I do think one of the problems with the docuseries is they try to make too neat of a story out of something that's extremely mm. messy and yeah. which will never be neat because it'll always be like he said this she said that and I mean Whew. you know Whew, that must be interesting watch and interesting watch it is um, so yeah that's all from us this week you can find me at Karen Walby on Instagram at Karen Wildbees with an S on Twitter and subscribe to my newsletter Wildestreams at wildestreams.substack.com Also, don't forget to follow us on YouTube, subscribe to us or whatever you cool kids say. Um, <laughs> we have episodes up there but we also have like exclusive YouTube videos and upcoming events which will be exclusively available on YouTube. So check that out! The podcast can be found at, at Crushing On Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find more information about this and all our other episodes at our website, crushingonpodcast.com, and send any feedback to crushingonpod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group, Crushing On Club, where we chat about the show, celebrity news, recommendations, the whole shebang. Let us know what you think about what was discussed in this week's episode by sending us a voice note or email to crushingonpod at gmail.com. The show is produced by me, Karen, and Rebecca Barches. The show is edited and engineered by Rebecca Barches. Our logo was designed by Nathifa Maruf. And the show was created in partnership with IGN Africa. If you like the show, tell everyone that you can any way that you can. Keep up to date with all our episodes by subscribing to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review the episodes on Apple Podcasts, as it helps others find the show. We'll be back next week with another in-depth conversation with a pop culture lover. See you then!